The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. This is all unintentional. It's called high-handed sin. Open rebellion against Yahweh. No lamb, no bull, no goat. Nothing. That's terrifying. Because I, I don't know about you. No, actually, I take that back. I know about all of us. We've all intentionally sinned. Right? That's a terrifying thing. And I think that's why as we read this psalm, as we think back to David and Bathsheba and then David and Nathan, why, why he would say, you don't delight and sacrifices, or else I would give them. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. Why? Because that's, that's all he could bring. That is all David could bring to the table was just a real recognition of his guilt before a holy, just God, and he could do nothing about his sin. Nothing. So, I mean, you don't, <laughs> you won't accept this. Not a, not a bull big enough, not a goat white enough to do anything but the sin I've committed. So he's, he's in a scary place. It's why when Nathan says to David, when, when, when he confronts him and David repents, Nathan says to him, you won't die. God has put away your sin, you won't die. He's telling him that because he deserved the death penalty. He deserved not just like, yeah, I mean, spiritually we could talk about that. He deserved to physically have his head removed from his body. And here's what's crazy, because let's, let's back up for a second. Right, y'all know the story, right? He, he's committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he's, to cover it up, he has Uriah killed. And not only that, he, he has Uriah He's so diabolical in his sin at this point. His heart is so hard that not only does he, you know, he initially brings Uriah back to try to get him to go have sex with his wife so he would think that the baby that she's pregnant with is his own. When, when Uriah is too honorable and too, and is too uh, he identifies so much with the men that are still out in battle, and he's like, I can't go do that while my brothers are out bleeding, and so he won't even go home and see his wife. David then writes a letter to the commander of the army and puts it in Uriah's hand to deliver. And in that letter is the instructions for how Uriah should be killed. And Uriah is such a man of integrity David doesn't, he knows he ain't going to read the letter. He won't read the letter. He's, <laughs> I can trust this guy. Depth of sin. Has him killed. Has him killed to cover it. Right? And then the way that Nathan, pretty brave move, right? <laughs> Nathan, the prophet, the preacher, he's got to call out the king. And he confronts him. Remember he tells him that little once upon a time story? 
which David should have been like, seriously, this happened? I mean, but he's just, he just gets sucked into the tale. And he's like, yeah, man, so there's this guy, he's super rich, and he's got everything he needs, and he's got a neighbor who's poor, and the poor man, his family, man, they've got this one lamb, and they've raised it like it's, it's a pet, and, and he's one of those weird, it's like a weird family where they treat the pet like part of the family, and you know, in Christmas time, they put a little Christmas sweater on the lamb, and the man, they just loved that thing, and David sucked into it because he was a shepherd, and he was like, oh, I know all about that, and he sucked into the story, man, and, and, and he says, yeah, and then the rich man had a, a friend come into town, and instead of slaughtering one of his own lambs to feed the guy, he goes and gets, you know, his poor neighbor's pet, slaughters it, feeds it to his friend. How does David respond? With absolute wrath wrath vengeance his blood is boiling right he says he says he will die for that and pay it back fourfold in reverse order but you get it he's mad (laughs) he's just angry i'm gonna kill him make him pay for it and then i'll kill him again all he's got is wrath for this dude until, Dave, until Nathan says, oh, no, 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 you're the man. And in that moment, everything comes crashing down on David, right? The little wall that he built up over his conscience, over his heart to keep the word of God out. Because we know, we know from Psalm 32, man, David's saying, like, while I was silent, my bones were wasting away. I was dying. Later in this Psalm, he says, man, Please, please heal me. Please restore to me joy and salvation. Please heal the bones that you have broken. Because God's hand of conviction has been on his son, and he's wasting away on the inside. But instead of repenting, instead of pursuing God's grace, he's building this wall. He doesn't want to deal with it. He's justifying it. He's trying to cover it up. He's trying to deal with his sin on his own, and he is wasting away, and he is less than half of the man he used to be. So all he has for this joker is wrath. And Nathan's like, man, yeah, that that is what you deserve. But God is not a man. And what God has is grace and mercy. So, lest any of us sit here and think, whoo, glad I didn't commit adultery and murder on Thursday, None of us are off the hook. For one, if you don't know this, you can thank, for, thank me for letting you know about this. Jesus said, that's the best opening of any sentence or paragraph, right? It just is. Jesus said, if you've looked at a woman with lust, If you've looked at somebody else who you're not married to, other than the one person that you're married to, if you've had sexual thoughts about anybody else, you've committed adultery in your heart. How we doing? Yeah, don't answer out loud. (laughs) We all know how we're doing. It's rhetorical. Guilty, guilty, right? Like I didn't commit murder on Thursday, though. Jesus said, if you hate somebody, 
you've committed murder in your heart. And there is no sacrifice for intentional, high-handed sin. Listen to what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. It's not as good as saying Jesus said, but it's still, it's pretty good. Charles Spurgeon said this. This is kind of long, so stay with me. And he, he spoke funny. This will certainly be fit language for any child of God. Here who has fallen into gross sin. I trust, my brother, that this may not be your case. But if it should be, hesitate not when you have fallen into David's sin. So physical adultery, physical murder. If you feel David's repentance to offer David's prayer, don't hesitate. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Backsliding Christian, you may yet return. There are pardons for sins of deepest dye. The Lord will heal your broken bones. And he he will restore unto you the joy of his salvation. But probably far more of us will have an equal necessity to utter this supplication on account of, here, listen, on account of gradual inward backsliding from the former closeness of our walk with God. One great sin, one committed, startles the soul into repentance, but a continuation of sin will be found to be even more dangerous. Though no one of the company of our transgressions may be as striking, yet the whole together may produce an equally lamentable result upon the soul. White ants will devour a carcass as surely and as speedily as lions. I don't know if that was a thing in England a long time ago. I've never seen a white ant. just feel like I should pause and address that. So Wolf, uh, let me read it again. Red ants will devour a carcass as surely and as speedily as a lion. Listen to this. Many threads of silk twisted together may hold a man as fast as one iron band. We know this. We know this. So we are on equal footing. We've all committed attentional sin. So we're... Where is our hope for this? Let's begin. Let's read Psalm 51. I'll read the whole thing, and we'll work through it. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight.
so that you may be found justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your idols. David knows, he knows that his only hope is the mercy of God. Even in, listen, even in a sacrificial system where you and I know, and if you don't, man, if you're new to Christianity or to the church, the Bible says this. In the New Testament, it says, well, don't get it wrong. Don't get it sideways. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away any sin. It can't. Can't, your human rebellion against God, your sin against a holy, just God, no, a lamb can't touch that. And so then how much more for, man, yeah, intentional sin? I can't do anything. He knows that. He knows his only hope is the mercy of God. And so he pleads his case based on the nature and character of who God is. What he cries out right here at the beginning, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He is quoting God. He is quoting Yahweh talking about himself. He is quoting Yahweh when Yahweh, the one true living God, reveals himself most fully in the Old Testament. The best picture of who God is as revealed in the Old Testament is Exodus 34. Turn there with me. A guy named Plummer said this, without mercy in God, we should all be undone. His power would destroy us. His wisdom confound us. His just his justice condemn us, his majesty terrify us. But by his mercy, 
All these, his power, his wisdom, his justice, his majesty, but by his mercy, all these turn out for our good. So if you don't know the context here, this is God has led his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he's brought them to the mountain and he's given them his law. This is after the whole deal with the the golden calf and Moses tossed down the first tablets and he's gone back up to get the second and he's up there. Moses is up there speaking with God and God giving the law, which is also a revelation of the nature and character of God. And Moses asks a question. He tells God, he says, I want to see your glory. He said, I want to see you. I want to know you in a deeper, more real way. And the Lord told him, you can't, you can't. But what I'll do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft over here. I'm going to put you in this crack in the mountain. I'll put my hand over you and I'll pass by. And you'll see my hinder parts. You'll see, you, you'll see a partial glimpse of my glory. Verse 6, Exodus 34. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. It's intense. To see God is not to use our eyes, God, in revealing himself in this moment to Moses, is proclaiming the truth about who he is. It's in hearing the word of God about God from God where we most fully know and, and, and see who he is. And what he's doing in this picture, he's, he's saying, you want to know who I am? I'm Yahweh. I'm the self-existing God the king of the universe. If you want to see me, know this about me. And he begins to lay out these attributes of his nature. He says this. He says that, that he's compassionate. He's compassionate. Sympathetic to our weaknesses. In his love, he desires to help us when we are in need. In Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. That he's gracious. It's a word of mercy or undeserved favor. Rather than giving us what we deserve, he gives us something that we don't deserve, the free gift of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says he's slow to anger, or he's long-suffering. Long-suffering. He's not like David. He's not like David, and he's not like us. Right? David said, kill the man. Bring him here, chop off his head. Nathan says, no, 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 you're the man. But God has put away your sin. 
It's long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen to Philip Ryken on this. He says, God abounds in love and faithfulness. The Hebrew word for love, has said, is sometimes translated loving kindness or steadfast love. It refers specifically to the commitment God has made to his people in the covenant. Here, God's covenant love is connected with the Hebrew word for faithfulness, which also means truth or truthfulness. The point is that God always follows through on his love. His love is loyal and steadfast. Since he never goes back on a promise, once God promises to love, he keeps on loving. And his love is boundless. And it is love (laughs) without measure, love beyond degree. Why? Because it's who he is. And by his nature, he's infinite. When you're the object of his love, it's infinite. Romans 8, these are some of my favorite Okay, the whole Bible is my favorite. Just assume if I read the Bible, what I'm saying is these are some of my favorite things. Here we go. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including you, including you, Nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is his promise. And his word is true and his love is infinite. Will there be moments when you don't feel that it's possible that God could still love you? Absolutely. If not, Either you are way too holy to be coming to this conference, you should be preaching your own conference somewhere else, or you're in denial. You're in that place where David was, and he's like, yeah, chop that dude's head off. Next. There will be times when that doesn't feel possible. That's why David, in a little while, says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Why would he say such a thing? Because all he can think, what his feelings tell him, is I deserve to have your Holy Spirit taken away from me. Because how? How, as somebody who has seen your goodness, seen your grace, seen you move in my life, I've tasted and seen that your word is good. I've tasted that the Holy Spirit is real. You've quickened me. You've made me alive. You've shown me the truth of the gospel. How is it that then I can turn around and do that? I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve to have you never look at me again to remove your Holy Spirit and pretend that you never knew me and to treat me like the sinner that I am. feels that and he owns that and he's but he says I know what I deserve but over against my thoughts and over against my emotions I'll trust your word 
I'll trust your nature. Because yeah, I'm sinful, I'm adulterer, I'm a murderer, I'm a sinner. But you are compassionate. But you are gracious. But you are slow to anger. You forgive. So please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. No doubt he thought of Saul. No doubt. Saul had the Spirit of God taken from him. And so we could get theological and scholarly and be like, yeah, you know. So it seems like what it's saying here is, you know, Saul had the Spirit of God come on him to, to fulfill his ministry as king. True. True. And so, okay, time out. Y'all with me? Okay, good. I can't imagine. Okay, so did you catch? I, I read the inscription at the beginning on purpose. To the choir master. To, to Zach. Here's my song that I want you to sing when you lead worship tomorrow. I've committed adultery. I murdered. I deserve to die. Let's all sing that together. David has laid himself bare. Let me back up. Let me say that better. God has laid David bare in his mercy, in his grace. That's what the word of God does. God sends his prophet to speak the word of God to David, and that is what the word of God does, right? The, the word of God is a sword, a double-sided sword able to pierce between the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And before him, we are naked, laid bare. There's no hiding. David has had that done. The truth is, though, that once that's done and you're laid bare before God, why does he say, against you and you only have I sinned? Did he, we all know it, right? Did he wrong Bathsheba? Absolutely. Did he wrong Uriah? Absolutely. And anybody else that cared about those two people? Did he, he put the whole nation at risk because he's the king and he's committed such sin? But at the end of the day, he knows I've sinned against God. It's his hell that I deserve. And really nothing else matters. It doesn't matter who else knows if God knows. Because when we're, when we're sober, when we're thinking sober, when the word of God penetrates our hearts, that's how we see it. I've sinned against God. He knows. It doesn't matter who else knows. But we live the other way. <laughs> when we try to deal with our sin, when we try to deal with our guilt, when we try to deal with our shame, we do it backwards. I know God knows, but I'm just going to hide it from everyone else and pretend like everything's okay. The most dangerous place in the universe to be is where you're living in unrepentant sin and acting like everything's okay. There's no hiding. There's no covering. So he writes this song, right? I think we're still in the timeout. He writes this song because he's laying himself bare. And I think, man, this is raw for all of us. It's raw for all of us. 
like so for real, I mean, I had a hard time reading this psalm. And I told a couple of y'all before I came up, man, this is, I feel this weight because this psalm is so deeply personal to me. David wrote it, but I've lived it as a Christian. So yeah, no doubt he's thinking of Saul and God removed his Holy Spirit so he no longer was anointed to be king and we saw what happened. And David's praying that that doesn't happen to him and I think, yeah, it's probably, is it, it's all the above. Because I've, I've prayed it like this. God, don't take your spirit from me. <laughs> don't remove your anointing for me to be a pastor. Don't take your spirit from me so that I would lose my influence in the life of my wife and kids. I'm not emotional. You're emotional. Shut up. So he knows, right? He knows that his only hope is God. It's who God is. He's got nothing to bring. He owns it, right? Let, turn back over to Psalm 51. We see this, verse three. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. <clears throat> Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Not, he's not blaming his mom. He's just, he's saying, man, yeah, I'm guilty. And it's because to the core of my being, apart from you, I am a sinner. Right? We're born into this mess. We come from a long line of sinners. He owns it, but he's trusting in the nature and the character of God. The last thing in Exodus 34 that God says about himself is that he's forgiving the Hebrew word there means to lift or carry. The picture is that of a burden, the burden of our sin, our guilt, our shame being lifted off of us. Okay, so that's what David had. He understood that. You're forgiving. You're, you're lifting the burden of my guilt, my shame, my sin. But it has to go somewhere. He takes it off of David, but it has to go somewhere. And we, but we know, we know where it goes. Romans 3, turn to Romans 3. Y'all with me? I'm going to say it anyway, but I want you guys to be with me. Let's get, Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a what? A propitiation. Where did it go? He lifted it up off of David. He forgave him, which means he lifted the burden of his sin, his guilt, and his shame, but it had to go somewhere. Where did it go? Right here. Jesus. He's the propitiation for our sins. God made him who knew no sin for our sake to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How is that fair? It ain't fair for a second. It's got nothing to do with fairness. It's got everything to do with the wrath of God being satisfied by the love of God put forward in Christ Jesus. He became our propitiation. He became the wrath-bearing sacrifice so we don't have to bear it. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Adam's, Eve's, Abraham's, Sarah's, David's, all of them. How, how could he be just and pass it over? He wasn't just passing it over. He was storing it up. He was storing it up. In fact, he was filling up the cup of his wrath. And Jesus consumed all of it. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We see this. All those attributes, all those things that are true about God. Listen to what Doug Wilson said about it. He said, Christ is the stage upon which, <laughs> this is good, Christ is the stage upon which all the attributes of God play their part. As I said earlier, Exodus 34 is probably the place in the Old Testament where we get the most clear picture of who God is. But the New Testament's better. And it's better because of Jesus. Listen to what John in John chapter 1 said. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember, how does God reveal himself? Through his word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made them known. We know, listen to me, what David experienced, what David experienced when he wrote Psalm 51 is beautiful. He received the compassion and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of a sovereign God. And what we have in Christ is even better because we can see it better we see the full display of the glory of God in Christ.
We've all been there. If you've sinned, and they try to hide it. We're dumb, right? <laughs> we're just dumb. We try to hide it from ourselves. We try to pretend like it's not a big deal. And then comes that moment. And maybe God in his grace, maybe God in his grace lets your wife find what you've been looking at. That's his grace. You know, maybe, I don't know, whatever. Phil, you know your sin. Maybe it's the IRS calls. Maybe it's your boss notices something. He smells it on your breath every morning. Whatever it is. I, I don't know. I know mine. I've already shared enough. Whatever it is, when, it, when it's exposed, and again, that, that's God's grace, it, it's exposed, and there's that, man, crashing feeling, that weight of guilt and shame. And that time, I can feel like, man, this, <laughs> I just want this to go away. I, I, can't, I can't survive here. We know, right? There's only one way forward. Because God in his grace has brought us to those, that moment so that we would see this better and experience him more and move forward, whatever those consequences might be in our life. But there's always hope, and we know that. So I'm saying this because we've got, we've got on the front side and not think that we can manage and control our sin. And again, we could list vices, right? We could list sins. And maybe what you struggle with the most is not what I would struggle with the most, but all of us have it. And so let's not, let's not pretend. Let's stop pretending that we can like, have that secret sin that we, we feel like we can kind of manage. Well, I don't do it that much or it's not really controlling me or I could really stop. Or, and let's also not buy into the lie that, well, you know, if it was wrong, like surely something bad would happen to me, right? Like if I, if I looked at that, then lightning would strike me. Well, let's not play that game. Just because there's no immediate consequences doesn't mean we're getting away with anything. We know that. We know these things. It's not that we don't know them. It's that we don't, we don't live in these moments where, we're, where we see clearly. He sees it and he feels it. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So hyssop is this freaky plant that's hairy leaves. But it's important because what they would use it for, we first see it, uh, I don't know if it's the first place it shows up, but the first place I remember it is Exodus when they're, when they're fixing to leave, right? It's the Passover deal. When God's bringing them out of slavery and he says that death is going to come through and the firstborn's going to die in every house. And so he tells the Jews, 
sacrifice a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on your doorway, and death will pass over. Well, the way that they put it on the doorway, the, the, the Passover blood, was with a hyssop branch. And then later on, in the law, you would see that they would, when they were setting things apart for worship, they would take a hyssop branch, dip it in sacrificial blood, and then they would sprinkle it on everything that was going to be used for worship. And so David, right, a thousand years before Jesus, not understanding the gospel the way that we understand the gospel, but looking forward with hope is saying, man, cleanse me. Cleanse me that way. Cleanse me that way. But this is what we know. And that is we have been washed. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you have been washed with the blood of Christ. Right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. And it does. And it purifies. Whenever I read this, man, and when, when I'm, sometimes I just read it, but mostly I go here when I've messed up. In my personal time before the Lord, and I go and I read this, not as David, but as me. And I get to this part. This is the best part. David, he's crying out for cleansing, but he knows there's no sacrifice for, un, or for intentional sin. I get here and I go, yeah, there was nothing in the old covenant. The new is better. Jesus' blood is greater than any sin. And it's cleansed me. Because in that time of that, that grief and that crying out, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't remove me from ministry. Don't take my influence from my family. Right here, this is my hope. My hope is that in that moment I know, as I'm laid bare before the Lord, in that moment I know Jesus went to the cross. He became sin for me so I could have his righteousness. My standing before Almighty God hasn't changed. And he knew. He knew. He saw that failure. He saw that sin. He knew that I'd mess up even as his son, that I would rebel against him, that I would betray him, that I would commit treason against him. He knew that and he still went to the cross for me. He still shed his blood for me. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would say, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Where were you and I? Man, it's a fight. It's a battle. Will I remain faithful to the end of my life? Will I remain faithful to the end of this day? Will I remain faithful to the end of this sermon? I don't know. I want to. I want to strive. But at the end of the day, I know this. Jesus was faithful. He persevered all the way to the end. And it included going through the cross. For the joy set before him, what joy? Obeying the Father? Absolutely. But just as much in saving you, in forgiving you, so that he could reveal to you his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his long suffering so he could forgive you, so he called you his son. That's our hope. And when we have that hope and we apprehend in that moment, we get that, we see that clearly, then we say, with David, whatever consequences. Might there be consequences to our sin? Yeah, but I'm done hiding. I'm done hiding. I know there might be consequences. I'll live with those consequences because those will be temporary. And here's what's beautiful. Even in those consequences, in the face of whatever consequence might come from our sin, God uses us. Do you see it here? Verse 13. Then, 
I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. See this a lot at when somebody first comes to Christ, right? Yes, Rob. We see this. Man, Wayne was telling me a story last time. I got so excited. I did this as if somebody had just kicked a field goal. I was like, this is just awesome because he's telling me the story about John who's here with him, man, recently coming to know Jesus. And he's telling me a little bit about John's story about, man, how a little bit about his background and, 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 and the relationships that he wanted and didn't have and, and, and unable to necessarily even connect with people until, until he met Jesus. And now he knows Jesus and he's had his sin exposed, but that's all right because then he's had his sin cleansed. And now that he knows Jesus, all, all Wayne kept saying is everywhere he goes, he's just telling people about Jesus. He went from not talking to anybody, now he wants to talk to everybody. Why? He just wants to tell them about Jesus. Why? Because that's the most natural thing. When we get that right, when we realize, okay, if God knows my sin, then nothing else matters. And then if he would forgive me of my sin, now everything matters. Everybody matters. And so you start telling people about Jesus. You see it in the, the woman at the well, right? <laughs> she, it's, it's not funny, but it's hilarious. She runs back in town. Come, I just met a man that told me all I ever did. That's a nice way of saying she ran in town and said, Jesus showed me that I'm a whore and a prostitute. Come meet him. She didn't care. Why? She was being saved. She was being forgiven from those things. You don't care. Man, do you remember? Do you remember when God saved you? The passion, the boldness. It wasn't because it was new. It's because you were close. I think, man, sometimes that passion, that boldness is gone. Not because it's been years that I've gotten used to being a Christian. It's because, man, I'm just, I'm not abiding as close to Jesus as I was in that moment. Because it's the most natural thing. Because this should get renewed. That passion should get renewed every day. Because every day when we sin and we realize, yeah, I've sinned, I've messed up, and I repent. And I realize and knew that, yeah, his grace is just as sufficient for me now as it was the first day I put my faith and trust in him. That passion should get renewed. What? To tell other people. He says it here. When he realizes the grace and the mercy of God, the most natural thing is everybody's got to know this. Everybody's got to know it. If the sheep guy would have been real, he would have gone to him and been like, hey, bro, you're still going to pay for it, but I love you. Come here. I forgive you. He'd have freaked him out. He'd have showed him mercy. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Man, we have it. We have forgiveness. We have God's grace. We have his mercy. So as we go from here, sum up the challenges, right? We've got to be in the word. 
We've got to continue to see God correctly so that we'll see our sin correctly so that we can. Bertie, Bertie was saying it last night, right? Walk in repentance. What does that look like? Take your sin before God and be blown away again that his grace and his mercy is just as new now as it was the first day you believed. How does that happen? And be in the word. That's where God's revealing himself to you, through his word. So be in the word so you can see him right, so you can respond correctly, and then go, right? Go. Go tell everybody. Go tell everyone. It's too good to keep. We've got to share it. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what we should go do from here. Pray with me. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.